Well, welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. I am Will Stockdale, hosting the episode for us today. And I am very excited, very honored, uh, intrigued, because with me I have Drew Menard and Emmanuel Tibanera. Um, these are two men that I recently was introduced to uh, who are releasing a book in October that is really a lot of Emmanuel's story and, and then part of their story together. So today I'm excited to get to talk to them and get to hear the story because I'll, I'll be hearing it for the first time as well. I know some of the bare bones structure, but not all the details. So I'm looking forward to hearing the things that God has been doing through you, Emmanuel, and through uh, you and Drew as well. So I just to get started and get right in, I kind of give you guys a background of who they are. Emmanuel is a gifted public speaker. Uh, he is a humanitarian at heart and a singer-songwriter who has built a successful nonprofit, the Tibonera Foundation, which shares the love of Christ while bringing hope and relief to those suffering in the Congo and in Africa as a whole. Through his efforts, he has secured fundraising, booked gigs across the country, and raised 10,000 pairs of shoes through sheer dedication. And then Drew also, he is a professional writer living in Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife and four active boys, which must be just like an incredible time right now with being shut in in the quarantine. Uh, he earned his bachelor's degree in journalism and a master's degree in strategic communication from Liberty University, where he published his thesis on the emergent trend of transmedia storytelling. He is an award-winning columnist who has written extensively for magazines, newspapers, and digital publications. His creative projects also include developing screenplays and novels. And part of that's featured here is Liberty University, where you first met or you met at an event that was hosted by Liberty University. And there was a famous basketball player who was there. Uh, I just want to know, how did, how did Steph Curry end up at this event? And how did y'all meet each other? Yeah, so um, it's really cool. Um, Liberty, you know, they have regular gatherings throughout um, the week called Convocation. Um, they host a number of high-profile guests and just an amazing opportunity for Emmanuel, who had been doing a lot of humanitarian work um, with his family, um, a lot of kind of grassroots efforts to support his home country of the Congo, and eventually got in touch with leadership at Liberty and through something only God could have orchestrated a connection through another Liberty alumnus who happens to know the Currys um, kind of pulled all this together and it turned into a massive shoe drive to support Emmanuel's ministry. And I just so happened to be writing at the time I was doing some work for the university and um, ended up covering the event. And that's actually how we met um, shortly after that we met for an interview. Emmanuel, were you introduced to Drew at the time and what, what was your uh, experience like meeting Steph Curry? How was that? What season was this? I think that was, was in 2017. That's right. right Drew? Yeah, 2017. I believe it was March 1st, 2017. Um, yeah. He was actually so generous of Steph to come out. He was on his off day on a road trip. I think he was, um, if I'm not mistaken, between Washington and Chicago um, on his NBA day off and came down. He brought his wife. His mom came down. Um, it was a really fun time. It was, it, they, uh, they actually kept the basketball court in the arena kind of set up and let Steph do some shooting. Emmanuel actually got to shoot um, on the same court as Steph, which was really cool to see too. You know, what was that like? Um, I was so humbled, like, cause I'm, I'm really a fan of basketball, but I don't play. So when they called me like, Hey, you need to get trying to get a shot too. I was, I went down the floor and I was like, I'm going to make this for the children of Congo. I was like, I got to make this three points. So I hold the ball and while Steph was missing all his shots, I was like, I got to make this. And I made a, a three points in front of a professional basketball player. And I was like, wow, this uh, this is amazing. It was a good feeling. Um, I've been such a big fan watching him and just the whole basketball thing. And just being able to meet him. And I think that was also the time when me and, and Drew, we got to meet because he was already writing articles about the shoe thing around campus. And I just liked the way he was writing those articles. And and I got to see one. I was like, wow, he's, he's a good writer. He's telling the whole story. And, and that's how we got connected. And I think it was just one day I was like, I have this vision. It's been my dream for me to write my whole testimony, my story, and put it in a book. 
and uh, I reached out to him. Okay. And I reached out to him and he responded. I said, yeah, let's do it. Well, I want to get to that story writing process, but okay. you are not a native of Lynchburg, Virginia. So you didn't start out at Liberty University. I, I want to hear, um, Emmanuel, some of your story. So you, it starts in Eastern, the Eastern Congo, right? Yes. So uh, what, what was the path that led you from Congo to the States? Okay, uh, this is what happened. I mean, I was born in the Congo. Um, I have five sisters and four, uh, three brothers, so we're all nine. And we, we were born in the east part of Congo, that's Bukavu, and just close to Rwanda. And I, I think um, for the people that know the history of Congo, it's all since independence, you've never experienced peace. Um, it's all been up and down, uh, moving from one place to another, seeking for refuge. That has been a whole life, my whole entire life. Like it will stay in one place for like three months, and then it will move and move to another place. It just uh, just it was just normal. Like we will go to school for three four months, and after that, then there will be a war. It's gonna break up, and then we'll stay home. And mostly, a lot of these things were happening in the city. So a lot of when they happen, we will want to move to the village. It's a little bit more safer. And you know, during that time, there will be no transportation, everything. So. Congo became so unsafe for my family and for my brothers and sisters because the things that we saw and witnessed as a 10-year-old, I don't think it's right for someone like that to see things like that. And we we started having nightmares and and worrying about our lives and thinking about how will our life look like if we're going to continue living in this country. And my dad being such a big believer, he's always... uh, always told us like, hey, I don't want you guys to die in this country. I do believe that God is going to get us out one day. So our life was more of like, we stay here for five months, we come back, everything's peaceful. After that, we're going to hear like rebels are coming to town, there's war another coming, and so then we got up to close the house, park where we can, move somewhere that is much safer. You know, our life so has been, I grew up and my siblings and everybody grew up in that situation over and over again. Like fearing of our lives and witnessing some of our friends or neighbors being killed and abused and, and children being adopted and us being so blessed that we managed to live before even me and my brothers being abducted as child soldiers, you know? So after all, it got to a point where that we prayed to God to get us out. He was... Whether we stay, we're going to die, or we try to move out of the country, you know? So having, like, move from one city to another, and you're witnessing a lot of people, their bodies on the floor, people being shot, and, and children crying for your parents, and, and just people being separated. That's the life we grew up in. It's just all about that time. And then one day, one time, it was, it was just a step of faith that my dad had to leave and then got an opportunity that our family, also my mom and dad, we happened to live and relocated to Kenya. And that's where we became refugees. We thought probably moving from Kenya, from Congo, now moving to Kenya will be a different life or we'll just probably living, we'll have better life than we had in Congo. And now it was just another different life there was no gunshots, yes. But now the refugee life was something that was totally different where you're in a country where you can't get a job and you're not getting any support. We had all these things back home. We lost everything that we had. Now you're moving to another country where we don't know anyone. We can work. We can provide for ourselves. So now that's another different life. That was tough. That's another story, another testimony. So... In the Congo, we needed to live. It was between life and death. You stay there, you will continue living the same life, which my parents didn't want us to stay in the country because it got worse and worse every day. People are dying and, and women are being abused and young kids and just a lot, a lot. And we, people are just dying and we don't even know why we're dying. Why are we getting killed? Why are we being, 
who are being adopted, why are women being tortured this much, you know? And we're just um, innocent that we have nothing to do any of that stuff. What kind of questions were you asking your parents during this time? As in, when you're going through something that, being a refugee in a a terrible Mm. war, how as a child are you thinking about this? It was it was hard to grasp the whole thing. Like my parents, my dad was a preacher, and it was such, and my mom also. They were such strong believers, and it was just like any time there would be these gunshots and bombs and all these things, they would just call the family together and would pray. You know, my dad would read the Bible and 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 just uplift our our spirit and encourage us that this is gonna come to pass. You know. But some of these things we were not able to fully understand because me, I asked God, if God truly is, how can he allow us to go through this, you know? Mm. Ask my parents. So someone like me, I was holding on unto my parents' faith. It was not that I was a strong believer, but I look at them and how faithful they were because when they say, let's pray, we'll pray together. And they say, let's do this, we'll do this together. But it's their faith that I was holding on to that got us out so the questions were like when will this end how are we going to live this life where is god in the midst of all these things you know and they always pull out the bible and talk about god and say you know because the, the message remember they're always saying is like you will see the god that i serve you know my mm. parents will tell us all the time that that you if you believe in god he will he will never let you down you know if you trust in him, he'll always come and rescue you, you know? So they always tell us, like, I know you guys have doubts, but you're going to see the God that I serve. That's what my dad would say, that you'll see him because he's going to save us. So when he says that, and then we just look at him like, how? Because, you know, when you're seeing people are disappearing, while people are dying, while, you know, when the businesses we had are all being taken away, when houses are getting burned down and, and you know that you're going to be next, you know, so, but this was still holding on, you know, that faith is what get us through the whole situation. And, and so looking at them, I was looking at them and like, it was just a child, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I would just follow their lead and holding on into their faith, my parents' faith, you know. There's almost this vivid picture in my head of a child just grabbing onto the train of their mother's yeah. dress as mm-hmm. move along and that's the most closest thing to like touching hope yeah. as you can have mm. and it's a it's a story that i will never forget knowing that i was the oldest of about eight people and we we're all pretty much the same size and knowing that um you are that position you are the oldest and you can do anything mm. you know at that age where I'm like, I wished I was way mature, like young, you know, because I would be in a situation to do something. But I was that age where I needed help as well, you know. I felt like I had no, I had nothing to do, and I felt bad knowing that my family is going through that and I cannot help. Even when we were moving, knowing that my dad and my mom were doing the most. You find my mom was pregnant the first time we left the city, went to the village, she was pregnant. She had another child on her back. When I pictured that picture of how she was, she had food, I think she had food on her head, pregnant, another child on her back, and now she's walking, you know, and when you picture that, and it was miles and miles, and we are all following, and we all had to stay together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I picture all that and I'm seeing my dad had a big old luggage of clothes on, on his head. He couldn't even stay in front. And us, we just needed to carry little things on a, if we could. But I want to picture all that and the journey that we had to go through and how my parents worked so hard. You know, I'm, uh, and then it makes me believe that there is God. You know, mm. because nobody would have um, got us out of that if it was not God because people that we went through the same journey a lot of them didn't make it you know a lot of them didn't make it through the journey and when you know when you're walking somebody gets shot and you 
just the message was keep going. You can look and you see a lot of these families separated. You find two kids here. You don't even know where their mother is, their parents, just like a lot of things. But we stayed together. God kept us together through the whole journey. When, when did this war break out? Now, if I'm not with the dates, I think Drew knows, but I think it's pretty much 1998 to 2002, probably. So it got worse, like 1996, 1998, right there. That's when there was all this. That was the time when from 1996 to 2002, 2003, I think that's when millions of people died in the Congo. And we got out like I think it was 2002 that's when we went to Kenya but during that time that's when millions and millions of people died and um, that's the time actually we got out so that was the time where that four or five year span was the time where we were moving going to the city come back home or stay in the city when all this is happening so it's just all about migration from one place to another that was the life we had so and it didn't even stop like um, when you got mm-hmm out of the country, um, you weren't facing the war anymore, but, but, you know, then it's a new set of problems. Like, you know, we hear all about refugees today and Emmanuel knows mm-hmm. all about that life, um, struggling to get food, you know, going, you know, periods of time without meals. And, and these are more kind of experiences that as he's, you know, a boy becoming a man probably far too early, um, he's in, enduring more hardships and, and all of this is kind of shaping him. And, and obviously I think mm. well, we, we don't want to give away the whole book either, but I think um, mm. there's some, some key moments in, in Kenya and in his time in Congo that really shaped him and prepared him kind of for that next stage of his life when he, when he got out and when he came here. So part of your journey also, and this is what goes into your book, Congo soul, how a once barefoot refugee delivered Hope, faith, and twenty thousand pairs of shoes. Part of it's in the subtitle that you were making this journey barefoot. I was, um, and uh, all my siblings did. So the whole journey in the Congo was because you know not everybody can afford a pair of shoes. And the journey that we made, moving from the city going to the village, some of us were, were barefoot, and a lot of people that had to step on nails and, and different are cutting their toes while on the journey that we had to get some people. There's a lady, like my little brother, there was a time he could not walk properly because he had to step on a nail or something. And we needed a lady to, to try to transport him to help out. So the journey was barefooted and, and, and moving to Kenya also was one of those amazing testimony where affording a pair of shoes was, was not easy for us. Yeah, and I remember one story just about kind of a, the kindness of a stranger. I remember you had mm. at one point gotten a pair of shoes, but they you know, outgrown them and worn them to where I think the, the soles were falling off. And mm. and after that, you you started praying. Yeah, that one. That that's that's. I think that's the beginning of the whole uh, shoes thing. Because I, I remember one time because when I was we were refugees, my parents were always going for prayers, and they were always take me. And uh, and I was just I used to love going to church and sing and do all these things and and one time they told me to go to church to pray with them and I was with them there was different people in the room and I was wearing these shoes that was way down the way Joe said and I was like God I need a new brand pair of shoes and and I went in there and they asked whoever has a need I raised my hand I said I have a need and they asked me what's your need and I was like I need a pair of shoes. I need a new brand one. I need to have a pair of shoes. So they're like, okay, we're going to pray to God. And, and I had to kneel on the floor and they prayed for me, you know. And that was, I think that's when God was already writing my story now. I, I went to the floor and I prayed and they prayed for me. They laid their hands on my head and the God is going to provide. And I got up and the prayer was over and I went home. That's when God was doing touching people's lives and, and and this woman that was in there was touched by God and and she she came to me and she said I'm gonna get you a new brand pair of shoes and she bought it 
with a brand new one. And I thanked the Lord. And I was excited that I had got a new pair of shoes, you know. It was through those prayers that I had to kneel and ask God to provide a pair. And he provided. He touched somebody in the room and went and bought me a new pair of shoes. And it was not like an amazing pair of shoes, but it was way better than what I had. Um, and I was happy. And on Sunday, I went to church and I was singing. And I was happy because I had a new pair of shoes. You know, it's, it's that excitement that I will never forget. And that's actually, that's when my story was written now, knowing that after, I don't know how many years, I'm going to be the one sending shoes to Congo, you know. I could, you know, if somebody would have told me that when I was in that situation, I wouldn't have believed because I was so uh, in need of a pair of shoes and I didn't know who. My parents could not afford one, but God used somebody. You know, so when I'm doing this shoes thing and, and blessing people's lives and and fighting these infections, you know, I always remember when I went on my knees praying to God to provide a pair of shoes. And now I'm the one who is providing, you know, it's an amazing, amazing story. Well, uh, and one part I would love to know, so you went from the Congo to Kenya and then did you go straight from Kenya to the United States? No, I stayed in Kenya for about nine years, no? Okay. And that was that was really tough. So that, that was the time that we went without means. That's the time we had no place to stay. Those are those moments where now God was teaching us and something. It's just struggles and struggles and struggles. Because we thought moving from Congo to Kenya, it would be different. But it was not that way. It was another test that we saw. And there's a lot of amazing testimonies in there. And that's when I first got a new pair of shoes. And that's when God provided when we needed him the most. That's when God sent people that's, uh, to come and feed my family. It was just a moment where we needed to eat. That's one of the amazing testimonies there where we needed to, to eat um, a piece of chicken and, and we could not afford and my dad just spoke to God and he saw one chicken pass by and he told God, I need to eat a piece of chicken. It's been a while. And he didn't have money, but then God touched the owner of that chicken to slaughter the chicken. And he'd even take, I think he took just a piece and brought the whole chicken in my house. Mm. Uh, after my dad saw the chicken pass by, he told me, this chicken looks good. But God had already sent a message to the owner of the chicken that he had to slaughter the chicken and um, and brought it to my house, the whole piece. And he was like, a, God, I think, I, I, he was like, I made this whole chicken, but I feel like I'm not going to eat it and send it to you. And my dad, once he held the bowl in his hand, he just gave a testimony of how he saw the chicken pass by. And how God touched somebody to solve them. And by the home, it was all cooked, fully made, ready to eat the chicken. That was unbelievable, you know, is how God can speak to people, you know, because we really, you know, that life where we were just eating one meal from January to December, we were tired of it. We wanted to have a change of diet, you know, something new. So him seeing a chicken and then telling God that I need to eat the chicken, then God touches this person to slaughter the chicken, not even eat it bring it to our home unbelievable and it sounds like a repeated theme is just god's providing for you you have the yeah. faith of your parents and god's providence in your life and um so after nine years how long was it between then when you decided to begin this ministry to return to your home country so um we, we stayed in Kenya for nine years with refugees, and then God just opened this opportunity with the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. Um, we got this uh, visa, and then they brought us to North Carolina. Um, then after that, I, I had wanted to go to school. And, and I was like, I'm in, I had a better place now to go to school and get an education. Um, so it was during that time that I was just going through online. Um, I think it was, I don't know where I was. I think I saw Liberty thing pop up. 
and I wanted to be in a Christian school because I was like, no, I wanted to just continue to learn to grow in my spiritual life and I wanted to be in a Christian environment. So Liberty and read about things about Liberty as an application, they accepted me uh, and I went to Liberty. And then my two brothers joined me later on. So that's how the vision came, knowing that we are now in America. Now we have shoes, now we have everything. And when I visit home, I'm looking at how people are wasting shoes, you know, how every three months they already have new shoes. And um, so that's one. And the message was like, now you're in a position to look back and help someone. You know, so I started in my own home, like that thing just boiled in my spirit. And I was like, I'm going to start collecting these shoes. So I started collecting the shoes in my own house and putting them together. And you, I was like, I'm going to... Do ahead. you remember the first moment? Do you remember the first moment when you were like, there are all these people have maybe a dozen pair of shoes mm. in their in their closet. Do you remember the mm. first moment when you were like, these could be used for a beneficial purpose. These could be used as charity and as the ministry of the gospel. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's was the time I witnessed that in my own house, you know, and I'm going to let Drew say something about it. Yeah. I mean, um, I know kind of um, at, in helping you write your story, you know, there, there's mm. you know, a few revelations he had, you know, just kind of going through college and, you know, you know, all of us kind of, when we go through college, it's kind of like this, this time of personal growth where we're learning about ourselves and, and who we want to be. And Emmanuel's going through this, but also with kind of that emotional, you know, baggage, you know, all that baggage he has from his former life. And, you know, you know, for him, you know, stuffing himself at the dining hall doesn't mean the same thing as it does to us, you know, and mm. getting the, the latest trendy pair of shoes, you know, is, has much more weight. And, you know, I remember him telling me about times, you know, in convocation, just hearing people talk about mission trips that they've gone to and um, wishing that those people would go visit the Congo and, and then kind of looking out at the room and seeing everyone in that room wearing shoes. Um, but it was really, it, what I think is, is the most touching about this story is that it started in Emmanuel's room in his own closet. You know, he mm. looks out, he sees these pairs of shoes and thinks to himself, I haven't worn this pair of shoes in forever, grabs those shoes, throws them in a box. And that's the moment the ministry started. I mean. And then um, what, what was the, I mean, there's the buildup from you, you putting those fir first shoes in the box to the Liberty mm. um, University event. So we, after putting those shoes in the box, I started requesting everybody in my house to do that, to stop wasting and, and getting all the shoes they don't wear anymore. So we start storing all the stuff together, filling our home. And we had this, our own band, because uh, we, we loved worshiping and doing these things. So we organized events and asked people, hey, it's free of charge, but bring a pair of shoes. But we had no storage, so we had my own house as storage. So um, we'll do these events, go to different churches and ask them, yeah, we, we can come lead worship, but we need you to bring a pair of shoes. So it started building up. Shoes are coming. The message is, people are getting the message out there. And our house is becoming full of shoes because the boxes and everything, we were packing in our rooms. And my room was full of shoes. My bed was shoes everywhere. And I'll sleep right here and there's like a couple of shoes on my bed. The whole room was full of boxes of shoes in our living room and I'm just thankful to my parents who allowed and they believed the mission to say it's okay you can fill this home with shoes no problem so we were filling our house until it got full we went and got another extra storage and put it outside it got full as well that's when by that time we were already students at Liberty and that's when I reached out to the administration to the leaders and I just I just need to share my testimony and they're all like, let's do it. And as I spoke to David Nasser, which is um, a big guy at Liberty, and he got touched him and he just said, let's do it. And that's how everything started from that time. I told them I've raised this amount. About that time, I already raised like about 10,000 with my whole family. And once they had that and they requested, like, we can double the number and make it as big. 
And I was like, sure, let's do it. So that's how the whole Liberty Universe got involved. Because we already raised our own shoes. And, and when I was a Liberty, I was already telling people that I see God opening an opportunity for us to do a should drive a Liberty. I was already saying that, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. Because it, it took about three or four years for it to happen. I've already been saying it and telling my friends that God is going to do something here. But I didn't know how. So when I saw that happening and the whole school is behind it, I was like, the dream is coming to a reality. And uh, by that time, we already have lots of shoes for us. Like our house was way full. And we were not even taking shoes no more because we had no space. And now Liberty now is involved. Now they're, they're backing us. So we had, it was, it was at that moment, I, can, I cannot explain how I was feeling. I was so overjoyed. And, and at the same time, I was just like, man, this is not me. I cannot believe all this is happening. Just having the whole school saying, we're going to do it. And, and Joe is my witness, knowing that on the, I think it was on a Wednesday or on Wednesday or Friday when everybody brought a pair of shoes. And I remember in the morning getting up very early in the morning and I had to be in the green room and just me and know my life and what God has done for me now is like this world dreams come into reality. I had, and, and when time we got this convocation, this is the student body gathering and we are worshiping. I always wanted to sit in the back and just watch the whole place and because they wanted to feel the music. But I was telling God in my spirit that one day, one time, I'm going to stand on that stage. I'm going to talk about the Congo because we'll hear like students are going every part of the world, but not Congo. I was saying this thing by faith and I'm telling my brothers, it's going to happen. It's going, and one day, one time, I'm going to stand on that stage and talk about the Congo and ask people to bring shoes. And now on the same exact day, knowing that Steph Curry is coming and he's bringing lots of shoes and all these different brands are all donating shoes and all these things. And unbelievable, unbelievable. The feeling is, I can never explain it. And, and Drew can add more if he has, but he was just one of the best moments in my life. The humanitarian energy, the spiritual energy in that room is like nothing else. I mean, students at that place are, are an extremely, extremely generous bunch. And just watching, mm -hmm. the ones that touched me the most were the kids, you know, that they're, you know, they're fighting their own way through school. You know, you know they're saving up change to, to grab Taco Bell every now and then. And to see them grab a, a pair of shoes and throw it in the bucket, mm -hmm. you know, that was meaningful and it, it, it mobilized all across the country. They had a social media challenge. There were, there were some people who, who sent in shoes. Um, yeah. it, it was just, it was unbelievable. And, and I could not tell you just as a spectator, how incredible that was. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like for someone like Emmanuel who everything he's gone through, everything, his entire, all the struggles, you know, putting himself back in his, not even in his shoes, putting him back in those, those bare feet of a, of a little boy, you know, in the jungle, praying because his feet hurt. And now here he is surrounded by buckets, bins, you know, you know, think of these like barrels just overflowing with shoes now to, to take back and, and to be that answer to prayer now for someone else. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what that must have been like. And so you guys got together and decided to write this incredible story to put it into print, to tell people of really, I mean, it's generational faithfulness and God's, the faithfulness of the father to his mm -hmm. children and the way that he has been able to, to guide you and then take you back to the Congo to minister to these people. And so I wonder, um, where are y'all today? What, what, what's y'all's status? Um, and when does Congo soul get released? So our book comes out um, October 13th, if you want to get a physical copy, um, if you want to peruse a bookshelf and find it yourself. Um, however, it's actually already available for pre-sale um, and ebook. So um, if you do the Kindle thing, you know, Amazon, Google, all those, you can get the ebook now. Um, we'd appreciate any support we can get. You know, reviews help kind of 
the engine rolling forward and then um but yeah our, our official date um our official drop date is october 13th we really look forward to you know seeing people hear this story it's, it's just an inspiring story of of where faith can take you it's eye-opening i think um you know it's certainly a faith journey of Emmanuel. so people you know christians can really kind of um, relate to that aspect of it but i think um for anyone um, who is, you know, kind of sensitive to kind of what's going on in our world, it's really eye-opening this story to show kind of the stark contrast between kind of how we grew up here in in a, a very safe country, America, versus you know over there in the Congo, everything that he had to go through, all the hardships. Um, it really shares the refugees' plight and and things of that nature. Um, as for me personally, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm still doing writing projects. Um, on top of that, I also work um, in corporate communications um, in the travel and tourism sector. What What is the situation like in the Congo today? The situation in Congo, um, I wouldn't say is is not stable yet. And it's always they always do the period of time where they uh, they will experience the peace. Then it's, it's just never stable. It's, it's just never stable. And uh, that's the life people live in. It's just, we are probably, it's like 95% unemployed. Um, it's just a lot of them, people live a um, dollar per day. And uh, the history of Congress, you're going to get to read the book. We've talked about so many things that don't get media coverage. And uh, a lot of uh, human rights abuse in that country and a lot of things happening. And as you know, the country that I come from is very rich in minerals and all these things, but that has been a problem since independence, starting from the Belgian colony until now. It's like sometimes I feel like Congo belongs to a certain group of people, not for the of everybody, because there's about 80 million in the country. But not everybody benefits from, from that. And it's very sad that, that we are rich, but we are among the poorest in the whole world. It's, it's very sad, but yet we are very important to the world, you know? And I wanted this book to be, to be uh, a voice to the voiceless, uh, to be a voice to the kids in the village that, that have been abducted, have no hope. I want this, uh, this book to, to shine the light upon issues that are going on in the Congo and let the world know that Congolese also deserve to live a peaceful life, you know, and I keep, uh, and me being a part of that, now I live in a country where um, I'm free, I've been educated, and I don't have to fear of my life anymore, I'm, God has blessed me, I'm not, I don't have to go barefoot no more, you know, I feel like now I can just settle down and, and be comfortable, you know, I think it's, it's, it's time for me to, because if God amplifies and, and here in America I have a platform, an amazing platform that I can speak on behalf of this 80 million people in the Congo who are desperately in need of the world to know an end of this unending war you know, so I'm thankful that I'm here but at the same time Congo has never experienced peace and I come from a war-torn uh, part of the Congo where it's just war and war every single day People are dying. I would just say people die in the Congo just like the way flies are dying. It's like nobody cares. And, but I can tell you that the minerals are going out and in. People are exploding the Congo. And it's just so sad and so sad. That's a lot of us became refugees because of what has been happening. But at the same time, I believe that God brought me here in America for a purpose. He had the reason why I'm still alive today. And I was like... I've, committed i've given my life to him and told him use me the way you want me to use me but at the same time i would like to be a voice and and to these people and 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 bring hope to this unforgettable this nation that's been forgotten by everyone you know but at the same time it's just those things that are not out there in the media and nobody talks about it it's just we don't get media coverage but there's a lot of injustice that's been happening in that country for so many years. And I, hope, I pray that Congo Solo will be a book that will get the message out and will help people come together because I need Americans now to get behind me and say enough is enough because 
if we agree and do something here, I think we can bring change in the Congo. Because now I'm in a place where I can bring that change. When I was there, I wasn't able to speak. I had no means to do it. But now I think I'm in the right place to do it. So, Hearing your story is just so illuminating. Like, mm. you know, when you think of an impoverished nation, you don't think of a place that is probably one of the richest countries in the world in terms of minerals. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. every, our cell phones wouldn't work without the Congo. I mean, mm. the, the resources that they have in the ground there are, are tremendous. And yet, you know, generation after generation after generation, the world is profiting off the backs of the Congolese and their leaders are profiting off the backs of their own people. But yeah. to this day, the people aren't experiencing that wealth that is literally beneath mm. their feet. And, and that was one of the most, I think, the most harrowing parts of, of working on this project is just understanding, you know, how much I benefit from other people's suffering, you know, just by, mm. you know, having these cheap gadgets available to me. Um, and so I'm just really moved and, and thankful for people like Emmanuel who are telling this story. And then furthermore, just the work he's doing. I mean, you know, it started with shoes, but, but now he's doing so much more over in the Congo. He's, he's been, I believe on three now really humanitarian based trips back home. Yes. Um, the first one, he was really getting his feet wet, just trying to kind of gauge the land and, and reacclimate himself to his country. But he did bring some clothing with him. Um, but now, I mean, uh, he supports an orphanage. Um, didn't didn't your, um, your organization yeah. purchase land mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, we 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 ran out. We support an orphanage. We we just came from a trip that we had shipped more than fifty thousand sneakers this twenty nineteen. Uh, we had a lot of medical supplies. We got a very good partnership with Samaritan Pass. Uh, now we we have a big orphanage. There's about sixty kids from zero to to seven years old. Um, we support that. We in the process of by God's grace, if this book gets out there and we get all the finances we need, uh, we're going to purchase a land and build a school, and and build all this uh, technical school as well and, and creating economic opportunities for these people. And uh, so we are actually in the process now of changing lives completely. We, we are just not going to be focusing on just giving. Now we're actually transforming people's mind and uh, so they can be able to stand on their own feet. It's inspiring. I mean, there's so many points to this story to think about. There's your own story. Mm -hmm. There's the exploitation story there's the suffering of warfare there's the corruption there's the international mm -hmm. element here that goes on through commerce and trade to consider mm -hmm. and um and and your story connects all of those so they're they're all featured there in a powerful mm -hmm. way and i mm -hmm. um one of my one of the questions that i want to ask now is what is your hope for the congo for the ministries with your involvement, the people through um, your your ministries with the orphanage, as well as for providing for you know providing shoes for people as well. Well, and how can people be praying for you and for the people who are in Congo? I I think God has given me uh, one of the biggest ministry ever, and I'm always telling God, why me? You know. And um, it's been a burden, and I'm really thankful for someone like Drew that believed in this mission, and he gave his whole time and said, you know, I'm going to work with you and get this story out there. The ministry is more than more I can even imagine, but I feel like God is going to use me and my ministry to bring change to this country. As far as um, I know, I will really... What I will ask people to do for us is to uh, to join hands with us, this ministry, because my ministry is all driven by my family. Like I, John Barack, and all my sister, but everybody's committed, everybody's involved, even my parents as well. And uh, we are just a family that we would like to give back and see change. I want to see the Congolese kids going to school. I want to see a child being born in Congo with that fear of getting killed or getting raped or abducted, all those things. That's the Congo I want to see. 
And that's the reason why we left. But now when I look at these, these things are still going on. There was a time where it was every hour 48 women were getting raped. And every single time these kids, people getting raped in this country. And um, as some, it's still continuing until now. Women, when they go to the market, they have to go to rebels. And there's no way out unless you get raped. Then they allow you to go to the market. And all these things are not in the media. And, and um, I'm asking my fellow brothers and sisters, especially Americans, and, and since a lot of things have been raised about different issues around the world in this country, and changes taking place, but I feel like Congo has never gotten that platform. You know? and, and, and to bring change is, is to talk about these things first and get the awareness and let people know and all these things. So what I would ask my Americans, especially the believers, they understand and love the Lord and um, to come and let's join hands together and say, you know what, we're going to get this message out because I want to go back to Congo and see there's a hospital, there's a school that kids are going on the street freely because when I was there, we were not, we were scared of our lives and I want to see all this war coming to an end and I believe that, I don't know what God has in so far as in the near future but I think change is going to start with me and the people that we need to join hands together. So that's people, the things we, we are doing, we can do it without the support because everything that I take to this country, the things that I do is the American people that, uh, that donate and, and support our ministry. And that's how we get to do this thing. Because as we, we committed to doing, we just don't talk about it. We go on the field and do the things and come back and say, this is what we have done. Yeah, so um, what I would say is for this to happen, uh, I need the whole con- the whole America because trust me, I'm a product uh, of uh, somebody coming from nothing to something. This country made me who I am, you know, and I'm really thankful that I was able to come. As keep, especially when you compare whatever's going on around the world and, and people talking about a lot of things about America. As for me, America is the best country in the whole world. It will never be. And people need to understand that someone like me appreciate being in this country. And when they talk about, um, say, talk about different things like black people are oppressed and all these things. And for me, I would say there's not, there could be oppression, but as for me, I would testify and say, I'm not oppressed. I've been blessed. This country has given me everything. I've been educated. My family is safe, you know, um, I went to school, I'm able to get a job, I'm able to do this thing. So I pray for this nation every single day and, and, I'm, and I'm happy to be here, you know. But at the same time, I can't forget where I came from. These people back home, they need me. And uh, they look up to me anytime I go to Congo. It's like a miracle. Timana Foundation means a surprise. And we bring this ministry to these people, it was more of like, it's a surprise to them. They've never seen things like this. Nobody has ever given free shoes in that country except me. Nobody has ever gone to the villages and, and, and get these kids Nikes and, and this new brand, uh, new shoes. These kids have never put on in their whole life. But we went there and these kids had to wear shoes that have never been put on by myself. And they're walking majestically and, and, and shout. And the joy that I get when I see that I can't I can explain it, you know. So I want to continue doing this ministry. I want to continue changing lives. I want to build schools. I want to build hospitals. I want to see, I want to create job opportunities. I'm, I want to show these people that our country is not as bad, you know. We can change lives. I want to tell them that there's people that cares about the Congo, that there's people that have been educated, people are coming back home to bring change. And that's just for me. I'm not a politician. I'm not running for anything, but what I'm, what I'm going for is to see kids who are in the same situation that I was getting an opportunity that I didn't even get by myself. That's the greatest joy that I'll ever have if I get to do that to these kids and to these people that desperately need of help. You know, so for me to do that, I need the whole country to join hands with me and raise awareness, bring up this movement that will change the whole continent, the whole country, and spend the whole Africa, because I'm targeting especially Congo. For so many years, we've been oppressed. 
um, people are dying and all these things. And people are just, you know, it's, it's so sad knowing that I'm going to these villages and I'm holding babies who have, haven't had meals for four, five days, you know, and we get to feed them and doing these things. And, and the funny thing is the country's fertile. Nobody's showing them how to do farming. Nobody's doing anything. People are so selfish. The government is selfish. It's corrupt. And it's in us being here, we have learned. We've seen how things work here. You know, I'm, I came here, it's like I've been learning the time. I'm seeing how the government runs things, how people are doing things. I would like to take the same idea and, and, and educate the Congolese people as well. And having country like US join hands and say, you know what, we're going to end the things that are going on in the Congo and let the country be free, you know. That is the goal and that's the mission of Congo. So that is a, a fantastic way to end. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, for your story. Mm-hmm. We're going to put a um, link to your book on Amazon, which comes out October 13th, Congo Soul, How a Once Barefoot Refugee Delivered Hope, Faith, and 20,000 Pairs of Shoes. Buy the mm-hmm. book, support the ministry, check them out. Uh, what is a website we can go to to get more information on what you're doing? Website, you can go to Tiburon Foundation, Tiburon Foundation. We are still rebuilding that website. And we are active on uh, social media like uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I think that's where you can get most of our information. Okay. We'll we'll make sure those are in there. So I just want to thank you so much for joining. And thank you so much for listening to the Will and Rob Show. We'll see you all later. Yeah, thank you very much.